This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company in Toronto. Woodhouse brews the refreshing beers using only choice ingredients and no preservatives. Check out their brew pub in Toronto today and enjoy their newly opened patio. Welcome to another episode of Beer and Bullshit. I am your host, Ben Johnson. How are you doing? I'm assuming you said extremely well, Ben. Thank you for asking. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, We're back with episode six. Episode six maybe takes a bit of a cynical turn, you might say. Uh, We're here to talk to two small brewers. They're not small. They're normal-sized people that own small breweries. And they wanted to talk about how it's actually much more difficult to own and operate a brewery than you may think. And we will get to that in just one second. But before we do, a shameless plea for help. Uh, Please, if you're enjoying the show, take the time to subscribe if you haven't already. If you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Reviews help me get my show out there. And if you leave a funny review, I may even read it on the air. Exciting! I also said I would pick one Apple Podcast review at random and reward that person with a beer and bullshit t-shirt and a beer and bullshit sticker. They will be the first sticker and t-shirt for this show ever made. However, I've since realized it's rather difficult to determine who left reviews unless you use your real name. So, if you really, really want a sticker and a t-shirt, use your real name. Uh, If you don't want to use your real name, leave a hilarious review. If you'd like to leave a bad review, uh, don't! Because I crave your approval, and I'm fragile. And now, on with the show. This week I talked to Doug Appledorn of the People's Pint Brewing Company in Toronto, and Aaron Broadfoot of Little Beasts in Whitby. Um, Doug actually approached me and said that it would be nice to hear someone talk about the realities of opening a brewery. I think his exact words were, Yo, Ben, I want to keep it real. And Doug also let me know that his fellow brewer, Aaron, uh, would likely be down for talking about the same subject as a frequent partner in commiserating about the subject. So we had a good chat. Uh, We talked about why opening a brewery is never like what you think it's going to be. Uh, It's always more expensive than you think it's going to be. And why untapped is bullshit. Um, Enjoy. Doug, this is kind of your idea. So let's, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, a, a lot of people when they, uh, they homebrew and they think, you know, I make great beer and uh, get really excited about it and think, you know, opening a brewery would be an awesome idea. So the rest of the world can, you know, discover just how great my beer is. And, you know, there's a part of that that really is true. Um, like if you grew, if you brew a great beer and, and people like it, it's, it's really amazing to share it with other people. Uh, the problem is, is if you're coming at it, if you're coming at it from that point of view, there's an amazingly steep learning curve mm-hmm. and there is so much that you just don't know about the business side of, of opening a brewery that, you know, uh, you lose sleep over it. I mean, Aaron, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. It's- yeah, we yeah we were talking to one of our employees today. We've who's a home brewer who makes incredible beer about that transition from home brewer to full scale and just 
I don't know, I should probably watch my language. I'm terrible for throwing in the spicy words, but no. <laughs> the, the disaster. You can swear all beer and bullshit. I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> it's a podcast. No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah, it's a steep learning curve on so many angles. Even when you see it coming, like I saw it coming, still just gobsmacked by the process in the end. So did you no. come to this from homebrewing? We did, yeah. Not yeah. the same, the same homebrewing group, or no? Did you guys know each other before this? We did. Oh yeah. It Doug kind of brought me into the brewing world. <laughs> so it's he his fault. It's his fault. <laughs> yeah, this is Doug. <laughs> yeah, way back when, before we actually started the brewery, we had a, um, it was like a homebrew kind of collective. Um, it was called Brow House, which I did with a bunch of friends, and we basically got a bunch of homebrewers together and. We did three different events um, and Aaron was one of the brewers at uh, one of those events. And then when the group that was doing Browhouse kind of split up, we, uh, we, I, I, I got together with my current partner, Peter, and we, uh, we started People's Pint uh, Brewing Collective and uh, we, Aaron came to every single one of the ones we did. So, um, and somewhere down along the line, we all decided, hey, let's open our own breweries. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think we got, we got bitten by the bug of, you know, these events being really successful and people really loving the beer. And, and you know, the dream was is like, let's make beer that no one else is making. Let's make small batch, you know, experimental thing. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the goal and that's what we wanted to do. But what you find out when you actually open a brewery is that that's not a sustainable business model. Um, you know, we do a lot of small batch beers and I know you do as well, Aaron. I mean, you guys do like how many, how many beers have you got going right now? Right now, but we, because we have a decent sized brew house, we can keep a variety of beers going brewing once or twice a week. I think right now, we had some major disasters lately. So we had to scale it down by a few. We have about nine beers and four different beers in the tank right now so yeah so so at any given time we have anywhere between nine and 12 beers going so um the problem is is that you quickly discover that there are a few beers that people really love and you mm -hmm. can't keep up with making those i mean um for us it became mango fett and and our our hellas island lager i mean we cannot keep enough of that we're, we're continually running out of it um, more so now than we were before, because we kind of figured out the balance prior to the pandemic is that, you know, we had a good chunk of licensees, you know, getting our beers and kegs. Now everything's being sold as, you know, bottles and cans. And we just can't keep up. As soon as you open a brewery, you wish you'd built for more volume, right? That's typically the story. Yep. Now, as I say, I see I'm happy with the size I have, but sometimes it's figuring out which distribution method we want on it or... Is, I think it, it, there's no win. Like we can't do small batches because there's an issue with our bright that we can't carve in a smaller batch. So being stuck in one size, I feel like no matter what size you pick, you end up with some kind of stumbling block afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I guess if you stick to one style, your fans will say you're boring. If you make too many styles, you never have the in stock the stuff they want. It's like lose lose. Yeah. Yeah. And so Doug, you, you proposed this, uh, the concept for this, like basically don't start a brewery uh, yeah, um, podcast. <laughs> and I did a version of this. I wrote something like this in 2014 when I felt it was like Toronto was like 
it was like everyone was opening a brewery. We had one for every neighborhood. Um, there were like investment bankers that were getting into the contract brewing game. And it just seemed like everyone thought it was kind of like a get rich quick thing. And in 20, I know. And in 2014, it was kind of eye opening because people were like, oh shit, this is a big downer. But I'm, I'm surprised to, you know, you think six years later, people would know better but I, I guess they don't like you two were hooked. So, <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you when, when we building the brewery and getting it started was probably the most amazing, fulfilling experience of my entire life. That, that, you know, the day you open your doors and you have your grand opening, uh, it's still, you cannot top that feeling. It's, it's what you did. Like it's why we did it in the first place. But what sets in a few weeks later, a few months later, is the business side of it, the just the running of it, the, you know, paying the bills, making sure you have enough money in the account, you know, just payroll, uh, getting your organics picked up, just all of the bullshit that goes along with owning a brewery, <laughs> it really starts to weigh on you. And it becomes your entire life is just dealing with keeping this thing running. And the passion you had for making, you know, really experimental beers and amazing beers, there's just no time for it. So, you know, we kind of like Peter and I at least were able to separate things out and he's the brewer and he, that's, he day to day, that's his job. He brews. And, you know, I, I take care of everything else. I mean, we, we do share a lot of the, the duties, but, you know, at least he's still free to experiment and do some stuff. And I'm, that makes me happy. But what doesn't make me happy is that I, I just don't have time to do that anymore. Right. Aaron, do you, have you found a balance or would you relate to that? Yes and no. I, I, the balance, what's balance? I have uh, <laughs> found balance. There's times where you still feel very inspired. You know, this morning I started at five and I walked in and the place is quiet and my malt sitting and I don't get to brew as often as I would like because I do most of the business management between me and my business partner. I'm the one doing the books doing all the emails. So I'm usually behind a computer screen. So when I get those moments that I get to walk into the brewery and open a bag of grain, or I get to sit and formulate a recipe, or even some days when you close and it's quiet and peaceful and you look around and you think, holy crap, like this is mine. And it, that, yeah. that dream kind of comes back to you for a moment and you can hold on to it again. But the day-to-day, -day, the, the fight that is owning a craft brewery and trying to make it financially feasible, and there's so many different ways to run it and trying to decide if you picked the right way, is your method the right way? Is it the stupid way? Have you sunk yourself? Have you sunk your family? And not being able to see the end of that path can be terrifying. And it is, it's a great job and I love what I do, but it's hard not to get buried in the stress and intensity of it sometimes. So yeah, especially, especially when things go wrong. I mean, oh, God. we just dumped like $14,000 worth of product last week. So. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so with those days. <laughs> what happened? We had a pitch of yeast and we do, I mean. I, Who I know fucked up? I'm Throw them about. under the bus. Let's get it out. There. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. I'm completely on the table. I would rather own my mistakes than try to pretend they're not happening and sweep them under the rug. We run a diastatic saison yeast and we run an American yeast that's not diastatic. And we realized somehow our first pitch, I don't know what we did, but we somehow got a few cells of diastatic yeast in it. And we went through three different brews off that pitch and a bottle came back and it tasted POF positive. We went through our supply and realized there was occasional bottles. 
So we pulled three brands off the shelves and dumped what was in the fermenters and started fresh. Wow. Mm. Well, so, I'm glad you didn't just call it something funky and try to bottle it and sell it like some put it in people a barrel. might. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Put it in a barrel. So why, I mean, you guys get into this and you learn as you go that you're, there's a lot you didn't know. I mean, but that's a story I've heard for 11 years. Are, is there just no, like, is there no, like, I don't know, mentorship program or like, is the, is there no breweries talking to each other? Like, it seems like it's not like not that much of a secret anymore, but I mean, is it that brewers don't talk enough? Like what's the, Oh, no, we, we talk to each other all the time. I mean, we we all know the, that this is a bad idea to start a brewery. But, but you didn't when you did it. Like, correct. you must have, right. Well, well because, I did. I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't figure it out until a few months in when, you know, when we realized that our opening day wasn't going to be repeated every single day in terms of revenues. Right. So, you know, you, you look at it, and I really... I mean, I don't want to discourage people from following their dream. What I, what I, you really, want to shatter their dreams. Let's no, be. I, I don't because I know <laughs> we're a lot here of to crush have, dreams. <laughs> I, I'm here to, I'm here to temper those dreams. I'm here to say, learn a lot before you decide to do this. Learn about business, learn about marketing, learn about, you know, bureaucracy. I, I don't know how, I don't know. I, there's, there's no better school than doing this in real time, but you also would like to be able to sleep and to be able to pay your bills. So uh, at the end of the day, tr find a partner or learn yourself, learn the business side before jumping into this. It isn't just about the beer. 100%. I think I knew going into this, but I was in for to some extent because I did have a number of breweries that were absolutely amazing and offered tons of help because the bank to give us our loans wanted financials from other breweries. So it was incredibly uncomfortable approaching other breweries and talking to people to get that information. But some people really stepped up and helped. And every time I told somebody I'm going to open a brewery, I get the same kind of uncomfortable. Oh, that's great. Little laugh kind of eye roll. And you're like, Oh, okay. And everybody said, you know, twice as long, twice as much money. So I think we all know it's coming to an extent, but different things hit people differently we had we got hit with massive steam issues and gas issues at the beginning that changed an installation from six thousand dollars to thirty thousand dollars overnight mm. so being able to swallow things like that uh you, you open up and you think i can brew we ended up having tons of issues with our brew house tons of issues with our cellar and it turned out that we couldn't just open up and brew and i think we dumped our first like eight batches ten batches wow and then it took us a little bit beyond that to kind of figure out and get under control what was going on in the brewery. I tell everybody, if you're going to do this, plan to dump, like plan for that waste. Part of your business plan is, is knowing that you're just not going to be able to make what you think you're going to make until six months in. And then just really hope people are willing to be forgiving enough to try your stuff again four months in. Even if you don't put out until you think it's good enough, that first four months is soul crushing. Yeah. So it was a it was a real wake up call. And then some beer blogger comes in and has one of your early beers and gives it a bad review, and you just want to kill them. You put it out there, you expect criticism, and I'm good with it. But there are times where you get people. We labeled one of our beers a golden, like an American golden, but everybody thought that that meant Belgian, and we got just slaughtered for it. And you're sitting behind the computer going, "No, that's not. I can't. I you can't really say anything. So it is what it is." Folks, are you like me? Do you like supporting independent breweries? Yeah, you do. 
What better independent brewery to support right now than the Indy Alehouse? Indy is right in the name, so you know they're independent. They're located in Toronto. Uh, their brew pub is in the junction, and they have a brewery in Italy in the Manulife Center as well. Of course, these are weird times for going out. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't even live in Toronto. That's okay. You can still try the delicious beers that they're making at the Indy Alehouse because they made it easy. Beer to your door, ordered from the comfort and safety of your own home that's my favorite way to order things you got free delivery anywhere in toronto if you order 12 beers or more and a flat rate anywhere else in ontario why not order a stay home pale ale one dollar from every can of stay home purchased will be donated to the fund that supports their employees that have been temporarily laid off due to covid19 check them out at indialehouse.com you mentioned you mentioned the money i think that's the biggest thing um, talking to breweries, when you talk about like your build and then you probably want to do a custom system because I don't know where you're going to find one on the, you know, used market right now. You talk about legal fees, consulting fees, your inevitable build and design delays. Like, I think when I did it and when I talked about this about five, six years ago, it was like estimate 700,000 to a million if you want to open one in Toronto by the time you open your doors. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a lot of costs that, you know, regardless of, uh, we were we were kind of lucky in that we bought a lot of, like we moved into Junction Craft Brewing's old space. Yeah. And so there was a lot of equipment already there. I mean, we didn't have to build a draft system. We already had a walk-in cooler, a boiler, all of those things. We bought the brew house from them at a, you know, a greatly reduced rate. So we saved a lot of money doing that. But at the same time, we kind of, it was, we, we hamstrung ourselves in the sense that the system was fairly small and we were, we're stuck with the space that we have um, and there isn't really a lot of room to grow. So um, we either have to move to another space just to monetize it or we just have to get creative. So we decided to get creative. Yeah, I don't know how you do it in the smaller brew house that you do because ours being 10 heck and we could push up to 12. For kind of the more creative non-LCBO approach we're taking, it works. But to, we don't have to brew more than once or twice a week. If we were brewing as much as you guys were brewing, I feel like that would just, like, with everything else you're doing too, it would just kill oh, you. Just so well, much. Well, and, and we have an LCBO beer, which is, you know, we've, we've actually started contracting now at Junction because we just don't have the capacity to keep up with, with, our, with our Hellas. You don't think about these kind of things when you're, when you're starting. You're like, oh, yeah, sure, we'll, get, we'll put a beer in the LCBO. That's great. And then the LCBO start knocking on your door and say, uh, can we have some more of this? And we're like, well, we just ran out of it. So you run the risk of having them delist it. So you've just got to, you got to, I think they're being very understanding right now because, because of COVID. But I mean, I don't know how much longer that goodwill is going to go on in terms of us running out of the product every, every few weeks. So. Yeah, that's why we don't do LCBO. I, at this point, like I, I know we probably should, but I just, i so stuck on trying to keep the people that come in-house happy and we're busy shifting to a barrel kind of more of a barrel slanted program that we just haven't tackled that yet we're trying to balance keeping consistency between our mainstays and also changing it up to try to keep our home market to keep our home market happy and it's funny it's john and i have few times you look at the way everybody else does it in the LCBO or not in the LCBO in the beer store or the other and I feel like one of the biggest challenges of opening a brewery and sticking with it is you write your loose-ended mind you business plan has to be a little flowy 
And then sticking to what you said you were going to do, because it's hard not to look around and just be filled with self-doubt watching what everybody else is doing. And I find every time we go to flip our business plan on its ass, because everybody else is doing it differently. And you're like, why am I doing it this way? I must be doing it wrong. It's never helped us. So trying to dig in and keep it the way we saw it in the first place, but we'll see. I don't know. We're, yeah. It's a present situation. I have no idea what it's going to look like a month from now. So right next week, even. So aside from having to deal with a you know viral pandemic, what have been some of the things that surprised you about opening a brewery? Like you <laughs> kind of knew what you were getting into, but you kind of didn't. Like what are the things you were like? Fuck! I never thought I'd be dealing with this. I think it was licensees actually. <laughs> That's yeah. the first thing I was gonna say. Licensees, because just like how opened, sketchy they are. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's. When we first opened, we wanted to go on the model of let's do ninety percent of our business out of the tapper. Let's sell our beer, and and that was what our business model was based on. We're like, I oh, will do ten percent licensee sales. We quickly figured out that you cannot survive without licensees. And even though the profit margins on selling beer to bars is so much lower than selling it right out of your door, you have to have it. So we went from 10% to almost 50% um, licensee sales. Mm. And there's where it, it got interesting because you got all these, there are so many licensees who want free shit. They want, you know, they want you to <laughs> clean their lines. They want, you know, they want kickbacks. They want all kinds of shit. And we, we're like, we're a small brewery and our margins are probably smaller than yours are. You know, why are you asking us for free shit? We just can't do that. So we've been slowly cultivating a relationship, relationships with licensees who are, you know, who are decent people. And unfortunately, there aren't a lot of those in Toronto. <laughs> I don't think it's just Toronto. It's everywhere. The small guys tend to be better. That's where I'd same thing. We were like 15% licensee, the rest tap room and bottles, especially with where we're located hasn't been as easy to bring people to our tap room as I really hope no matter. And it's getting better, but it was just starting to peak when COVID hit. Um, but you, we ended up being 50% licensees and it's amazing. The small restaurants that you know are barely making any money, great relationships, pay you on delivery, like so on the ball. But I said to my business partner, like a month into this whole COVID thing, that the one thing that I was loving was not dealing with licensees. The amount of work to chase for payment, to try to get your keg back, to follow up with them, to answer all their questions for a beer that's barely even at a profit. Like it was yeah. ridiculous. And it's, yeah, the licensee game sucks. Yeah. I don't, I don't know much about the bar and restaurant scene in Whitby. Is it kind of, is it booming? It's, it's starting to get better. It was a little bit of a wasteland for good food out in Durham region for a while. We've now had some independence open. We've got Butchies, near, Butchies nearby, which is amazing food. Three Six Kitchen in Bowmanville brought us a few places that really do stock craft beer and make great food, but it's really hard to sell beer here. We find we sell beer to Kingston, out to like London area to a few places and through Toronto is where it's very, we have a hard time in Durham. It's kind of a funny situation. So <laughs> we're actually being listed in a couple bottle shops in Toronto this week. And it's, I don't know, maybe you take for granted what's in your hometown. I have no idea. It's an odd thing. Yeah. I can, well, in London, I can certainly, this has literally been Labatt's town since 
I don't know, 1800s. Like, it's a tough go here. So there's like everything is Labatt's everywhere. So I feel like for the amount of people here, we should have more craft beer. But it's it's a tough sell because, like you say, those licensees have been used to getting those, you know, freebies for a long, long time. So it's like a it's changing the whole philosophy of their business. Like, well, I used to get you know three for one or whatever. So Toronto, I feel like you've got a pretty good market for craft beer these days, Doug. Well, yeah, but we're also competing with everybody else. I mean, that's true. There's, you know, I mean, we're not just competing with the Toronto breweries. We're competing with, I mean, with Aaron. We're competing with Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the sad thing is, is that, and this is something we didn't know is that you don't go into a, a bar and, and, you know, take away a macro tap. You go in, if you're getting, if you're trying to get business from a bar, you're taking away business from another craft brewery. So we're just fighting over the same limited real estate when it comes to, you know, it comes to taps. So it's, it's kind of it's frustrating because we don't, we don't want to screw, you know, our, our, our friends in the industry over, but at the same time, we still have to pay our bills. So, you know, yeah. And the, I'd say the big, the sells for profit and the, the giveaways and all that kind of stuff we label as macro is starting to creep down into some of the larger scale micro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't like to, I don't want to be a shit disturber, but the stuff I see now, we're not going to give beer away free. It's a hard line. We don't do it. We will bring our stuff and clean tap lines. We will not pay to clean tap lines. But beyond that, where you buy the beer or you don't get it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing about the whole, you know, payoffs and swag and keg deals is that every single brewer I've ever talked to says, everyone does it except us. Well, <laughs> like, we, okay. You actually have to do it. Like, there's no way around it. You have to do it. If you, if you like, not every single licensee will ask for it. And those are the good ones because they just buy our beer because they like it and it sells well. But they're... You know, we've got a licensee who buys beer from us maybe once a month and demands that we clean their lines. Um, it's always them. <laughs> it's what? It's always those ones. Yeah. And, <laughs> ones, and, yeah. and the ones that I don't mind paying to clean their lines are the ones that order two or three kegs a week. Because um, we have licensees that are like that and we're happy to clean their lines. Because, you know, frankly, the the, the volume is, is you know, it, it, it actually makes up for the the amount of money that we pay to do that. And we would clean our own lines, but we just, it's, it's easier. There's so many services in Toronto that we just, we just hire them to do it. And it's, it's much easier and cheaper for us to do it that way. So what, aside from licensees, what do you think some of the misconceptions are? Like, I feel like people think getting into craft beer is a lot sexier than it really is. That you'll make money. <laughs> Doug, you're Seriously. coming off really jaded today. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like I feel no, like we, I, at the end of this, you're gonna be like, "By the way, the brewery's closed." <laughs> no, people think that you know when you open a craft brewery that you're made of money. That you know, and, and really, some do. Some. some. I mean, there yeah. are breweries out there that are making money. I'm sure of it. Otherwise, they you know they would close down. But. Um, it, it's a struggle. It really is a struggle to, to make ends meet. Um, when you, when you're small, you don't have the, and this is one of the things I learned is that you don't have the, the buying power to buy things in bulk that 
you know, you can, you know, economies of scale. Like we make this uh, peanut butter and jelly porter and the amount of peanut butter powder that goes into that is more expensive than the malt that goes into it. So, you know, you can't, you can't make these really cool beers and make any money doing them. I'm just <laughs> shocked to hear that people think you're rolling in it when you open your own brewery. Aaron, are people hitting you up for money or what? Do you get the same? <laughs> I think it's the odd person who has, who doesn't really know beer. Like I had somebody a couple months ago roll in from Michigan and they're sitting and they're like, I'm about to open a brewery because I'm ready to roll in the dough. And I kind of gave it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like, you might want to do your research. If you really love beer, sure. But I think people think there's a, it's not the beer market or people that homebrew that think there's a ton of money. It's not the people that are in the scene that think it's the people looking in from the outside that think, yeah. oh, you make alcohol. It must be great. Yeah. And you got to have a real passion for what you do to be happy in beer. And don't get me wrong. I do. I love what I do. But I think what's surprised me with this is, is the level of burnout. I like to think of myself as a fairly resilient person. I've been pretty high stress my entire life. I'm always doing more things than I should. I, my, even my side hobbies are intense. But the intense workload of the brewery and just the day-to-day -day grind, the things you love being slowly, <laughs> being kind of pushed away and the people-pleasing aspect of it. Mm. The people are the best and worst part of beer. Dealing with, it sounds terrible, but I, I love the people that come in and love the product. It's what makes me so happy I did this, but oh God, people complain and people, I got so many angry emails during the last three months because people would ask all these questions on Instagram. When are you open? What beers do you have? And be like, just refer to today's post. It's all there. People would get so mad. How dare I blow them off? <laughs> that, that kind of public reaction is what's driven me to like, why did I do this? You have people yeah. who, I, like I said, constructive criticism is good. I want to know what you like. I want to know what you don't. But the people who forget that there's a face behind that beer and tear you apart online, mm. it, when you work this hard, it can be humanizing. It, the humbling aspect is sometimes good. brings you back down to earth because everybody who walks in the brewery is going to say amazing things because no one's going to be bad to your face. Um, but yeah, even in the industry, there's so much good. There's so many great people trying to help. But then there's also a lot of crap. I mean, I'm very vocal on what it's like to be a woman in the industry. I, I take a lot of speaking opportunities. I listen to the things that Ren says and other people. There's also a lot of junk in this community and it can be, it, it can be hard. It can be at times crushing and frustrating and it just, so I think that's what's surprised me about this the most. Yeah. Yeah, people are shitty, <laughs> generally. Yeah, people are very shitty. <laughs> but yeah. those same shitty people buy our beer, so. <laughs> yeah. Shitty people buy our beer. You've got a new tagline, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put it on the label. It's not going <laughs> to No, but, but by and large, the, our customers are really great people. I mean, we've, we've cultivated a, a niche, and... I'm, I'm, I'm actually really proud of the people that buy our beer. They're, they're not your regular beer consumer. I mean, you do get people who come in and say, what's your, what's your highest alcohol beer? Or, or what's, your, what's your thing that's closest to, to Labatt Blue or whatever, whatever, Coors Light, whatever. And, and thankfully, we do have beers that we can steer them towards that are kind of gateway beers. But the vast majority of the people that come in are craft beer people that love craft beer so feel like things like untapped that 
made everyone think that they had a, a voice worth hearing. <laughs> it's kind of terrible. Like Yelp reviews for restaurants where like every idiot who didn't like their salad is suddenly thinks they're like a famous food critic. Like not everyone <laughs> has an opinion you need to hear. I can't imagine. Like I'm still shocked when I talk to like, I think I was talking to Mike and Luke from Bellwoods like a couple of years ago. And they were like dwelling on a like a something that someone said online. I'm like, why would you give a shit about what a Yelper or what like a somebody on Untap says about your beer at this point, right? But I mean, obviously, it it hangs on you guys. You you read that shit. Like I'm I'm shocked, but it obviously affects you. Well, I think you do this because you love what you do and you want to share that with people. And you don't expect everyone to love it, but you don't expect some people to hate it quite as intensely as they do. And it's uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's but I think it's social media in general, right? Like everybody has a voice now and everybody has opinions that they'll say behind a computer. Yeah. But will they say those same things in person? So probably not. No. No. <laughs> if I, they do, I, I respect them for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very rare for someone to come in and actually give a, a negative opinion or a review in person. Most people do it from the safety of their computer or their smartphone. And I've gotten to the point where I've stopped reading Untapped. I just don't read it anymore. Me too. The only thing I put up there is when we have a new beer, I put the listing up and that's it. I don't read anything about it. I don't check the rating. I I frankly don't care. But I mean, mean, that's probably a terrible thing to say, but I I, I don't care what people on Untapped are saying. Let, Let Peter read it. (laughs) (laughs) he does sometimes and i tell him not to because it's it's like kind of like reading the comments you just don't need to do that so that was mine and john's role i'd read them and john would be like aaron stop what are you doing i'm like but but there's a curiosity factor you want to know what people actually think but Mm -hmm. i i think at the end of the day it's whatever people are buying is what people think what they write on untapped is nothing to do with whether or not the public likes your beer yeah, 100%. Yeah. The vocal people will be vocal about styles that the public doesn't even care about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if it, yeah. if it were up to the people on Untapped, all we'd make are Imperial Stouts and, and you know, barrel-aged sours. So. Right. Rooted sours. Oh, my freaking God. My <laughs> <laughs> God. Well, thanks, guys. This has been, uh, I don't know, has it been cathartic for you? <laughs> I hope. Therapeutic. Yeah. As long as we don't alienate anybody, we still love what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to love what you do, otherwise you shouldn't do this. That's the, the one thing I can say to anybody who wants to open a brewery. Yeah. Love what you do, otherwise forget it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's important to have thing. these. Yeah. It's important to have these reality checks too, I think. Because the last thing Ontario needs now, especially, is people getting into this for the wrong reasons or that don't fully understand what they're getting into. So you're doing a service and if, i mean if you really love beer and you really love what you do and you can hold on you open a brewery and you'll be happy but you just got to be ready for what's coming with it yeah well thanks again this is fun thanks, yes, thanks for having me on okay hopefully we talk again soon and hang in there thanks for listening be sure and wash your hands